0: Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 722 with Jeff Fenster. want
1: to be tomorrow or six weeks from today, and so they quit because they feel like they're not getting results. And the secret is don't do that. Uh, set micro goals, obtainable goals that you can do every single day. Kaizen your life by focusing on getting 1% better. And when you do that, success starts to happen. You start to see that you're further up the mountain than, than you were yesterday. And momentum breeds more momentum. And and then you start to gain that that snowball effect or that avalanche effect where it's rolling down the hill and getting bigger. And when you realize and see results, it starts to feed that engine.
0: Are you ready for
1: it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become... Unstoppable.
0: Let me tell you about a little green book that will change your life. If you're anything like me and your strengths are with people, not numbers. It's called QuickBooks for Restaurants, a bookkeeping and accounting guide by Zach Weiner. This is the back office restaurant accounting guide you've been searching for. And trust me, it will change your life. Ultimately, Zach shows owners and operators how to create the accurate financials and reportings that will enable them to make better informed data driven decisions to learn more and to get a copy of Zach's book, head to Zachwiner.com slash unstoppable. That's Z-A-C-W-E-I-N-E-R.com slash unstoppable. And if you use that link, my listeners will save 50% off a one-on-one consulting call, but you got to use that link or use promotional code. Don't stop. Find out why Toast POS is the number one recommended restaurant POS system on restaurants unstoppable. If you're going to survive this upcoming recession, you have got to adapt, and you can't just adapt. You have to adapt Fast. With Toast's cloud-based restaurant POS, your system will update to evolve along with changing industry trends and guest expectations. To learn more, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, for a limited time, you will get one month free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools, and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000, but you've got to use our links. What's going on Unstoppables? We have such a great episode for you today. I cannot wait to hit play on it, but before we get going, uh, Wow. So many people have been using our links. Thank you so much for using our links with toast uh, heading over to ToastTab.com slash unstoppable. But here's the thing. If you're using that link, do me a favor. If you are planning on using that link or if you p- use that link, please let us know. Shoot me an email. Eric at restaurant unstoppable dot com. Let me know you use that link because technically toast isn't allowed to tell us. Uh, that you're using the links, there's some confidentiality there, so uh, it's really important that you're keeping us in the loop. I want to make sure we're not missing anybody. And uh, the other thing there, if if you are interested in using Toast because you've heard it on the show, pause this right now. Head over to toasttab.com/unstoppable because the thing is, if you go to Toast before using that link, uh, they might capture the fact that you've been there. And if that's the case, we won't get credit for that lead. So a lot of people are using our link to set up a demo, but technically you've already kind of been entered into their system. If you're there clicking around talking to chat bots. So if you're interested in toast and you want to get the incentives we shared in the ad plus that check for $1,000 pause right now, email me Eric at restaurant stoppable put toast in the title really important. All right. So we have a great show for you today. Jeff Fenster, a great Conversation with Everbowl. Um, so, Jeff came across my radar listening to this podcast, Pat Flynn's Smart Passive Income. And I'm a huge fan of Pat Flynn's. So, when I heard Jeff's story, I was like, I got to get this guy on the show. And it was totally worth it. In today's chat, we talk about setting micro goals, having a zero restaurant experience, and how that can actually be advantageous, relationship capital, having a purpose for your restaurant before from day one and how having that purpose can serve you moving into second generation concepts and how that's beneficial slowly opening from day one and not rushing into it. So you can like, you know scale into your operations why you can why why you can't grow too fast if you know your why and that why is driving you and how leveraging vertical integration can help you scale your business and create more opportunity it's a great 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 episode i cannot wait for you to listen to it here it is and with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest jeff fenster my man jeff are you feeling unstoppable today
1: Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really, I, I I'm a huge fan of Pathlins and I, I listened to your episode on his show and, uh, anybody that he's willing to make an example of, I know is good people. And I, and I listened to your story. You have an incredible story. I know this is going to be a good one. So for 14 years, serial entrepreneur, entrepreneur Jeff Fenster has been creating companies in all kinds of spaces. These spaces include a small payroll company a digital market, marketing agency a construction company and obviously there's got to be a restaurant thrown in the mix and there is it's a not asahi bowl concept ever bowl with which is located in san diego correct me if i'm wrong the headquarters? Uh, cor-
1: yeah, headquarters. Yep. And,
0: uh, in just three years, the Everbull has opened 19 locations in two states. He's also got a super fuel coffee label, which is selling in retail and on Amazon. You got a lot going on, man. I know that we left out a ton. I know this is just barely <laughs> scraping the surface. So let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us?
1: Well, for me, it's always been if you can crave the results so intensely, the work becomes irrelevant. And that is the secret to making sure that you outwork your competition and crush everything you're doing. So really, it's honing in on that result you want and craving it so much and putting all your passion behind it that whatever work is necessary to get there. Is totally irrelevant.
0: So, what do you what do you do to increase this craving for results? Is that something that's just built in us innately, or can we develop an appetite for results? Like, how do you have such an appetite for results?
1: Uh, I think it's a skill, like everything else. I mean, anything in life is truly a skill. Obviously, some people are wired a little bit more towards it—type A personality, uh, result-oriented, competitive, if you will—than others. But whether wherever you fall in that spectrum. Um, it's a skill that you can hone and improve on and, and start where you are today. And, you know, I like to use micro goals to get better at everything I strive for, um, too often, you know, a lot of people I coach and mentor, uh, they get lost in the forest for the trees because they have these big audacious goals, you know, which are phenomenal, but then they're not where they want to be tomorrow or six weeks from today. And so they quit because they feel like they're not getting results. And the secret is don't do that. Uh, set micro goals, obtainable goals that you can do every single day, Kaizen your life by focusing on getting 1% better. And when you do that, success starts to happen. You start to see that you're further up the mountain than, than you were yesterday, and momentum breeds more momentum. And, and then you start to gain that that snowball effect or that yes. avalanche effect where it's rolling down the hill and getting bigger. And when you realize and see results, it starts to feed that engine. And then you know, at this point in my life, I, I can – I've done this for so long now and I've honed my getting better every day, setting micro goals that, um, for me, when I set a big audacious goal, you know, I understand it's not going to happen tomorrow. I mean, when I opened Everble, I wanted to have 50 units and three years later, uh, you know, we have 28 stores and 28 stores in three years. If I would have said that from day one, that seems really scary. Uh, that wasn't what I set out to do on a daily basis, but by focusing on getting 1% better, I was able to set micro goals, achieve those goals, and then use that that new platform, that new level I've just gotten to for tomorrow's 1% better. And it exponentially allows you to grow and achieve results that you you know truly could never have uh, imagined being able to conquer and accomplish when you set out those goals. So for me, it's about micro goals. I don't know if I was innately born this way. I was competitive, yes. Um, but once you start tasting success, you want more of it. And success is obviously a personal definition for everybody so um i don't want to i don't want to quote yeah. your or I don't, frame your definition of success for you but define what it is you're after and then figure out a way to get there and if it takes 119 days with one percent goals then it takes 119 days Man, it so takes much. seven years it takes seven years
0: <laughs> so much is running through my head right now i'm loving what mm-hmm. you're giving us and i just can't help but think of the uh, tracy i think something brian tracy Whoever the author of Eat That Frog is, and you've heard the other expression of eating an elephant, right? How do you do it? One bite at a time. And I see so many times uh, that tours get in, tr- in trouble because they have this vision of their dream restaurant, and they want to go for it on day one. And it doesn't happen overnight. It happens from where you can start right? Where you can yep. just start where you can and have that vision. It's good to have a vision. It's good to have an ultimate goal, but be patient and just chip away and slowly show up every day looking to get 1% closer. I can't remember the exact words you use, but I love that mentality, man. Great way to get this thing started. Uh, where does it make sense to start telling your story? Because you weren't somebody who like knew from day one that you wanted to be in the restaurant vertical. Like that was something that came later <laughs> in life or correct me if I'm wrong.
1: No, I, I know nothing about restaurants. I never I still don't want to own restaurants, <laughs> nor do I believe I do. Um, uh, you know, for me, I'm a serial entrepreneur, so I look for opportunities in markets. I like to come in with fresh eyes and disrupt. And every three to seven years, I like to jump into a brand new market, a brand new industry with pretty much no experience, because I believe uh, experience is the most overrated prerequisite to starting a company. Um, I don't think it's a requirement, a prerequisite, or necessary. And I sometimes find it to be a hindrance. So I still, you know, I have 28 restaurants, but I'm pretty sure I still don't know much about restaurant restauranteuring. Um, you know, I'm sure most restaurant tours have forgotten more than I'll ever learn. But that's okay because I'm building a business, a sustainable, viable business. And, and the core, you know, underlying foundation of any business is pretty similar. Uh, you know, you have your... If you look at a standard financial statement, right, you have both sides of the ledger. And if your revenues are, are better than your expenses and you can generate a profit at the end, you have some viability. And you've got to really utilize all the different metrics of growing a big business or a small business or whatever kind of business you want by focusing on those core values. And that's the foundation that I've always focused on. So I can go and do it regardless of what my mousetrap is, whether it's a restaurant, a construction company, digital marketing, payroll. You know, it doesn't really matter because the underlying business principles are the same across those sectors. And so I just need to figure out how I can penetrate that market with fresh eyes. Mm. And by coming in with fresh eyes, I'm not limited. I'm not going to do like I'll give you a good example. When when I told my family, you know, I'm going to start a restaurant called Everbowl. You know, my dad, he's the he's the quintessential contrarian and, and he's very, very, very conservative. So he's always like, don't do it. It's never going to work. Uh, you know, and and my mom, you know, she's like, Jeff, you don't know how to cook. And my dad was like, nine out of 10 restaurants fail. And my wife made a good point that all I do in a kitchen is eat and make a mess. So why am I starting a restaurant? Well, the truth is they were all right. I don't know how to cook. All I do is eat and make a mess. And nine out of 10 restaurants do fail. Why do nine out of 10 restaurants fail? Because 9 out of 10, because almost every restaurateur who starts a restaurant comes from restaurant experience and does things the exact same way Mm -hmm. that all the other restaurants do. So 90% of them fail. So why would I want to copy that mantra? Why do I want to come in with that same experience and that same blueprint and that same playbook and give myself a 10% chance of success? Why don't I come in with a whole new idea that has never been tested, but is just backed on grit and, and business, you know, acumen and years of being an entrepreneur and, and modern 20, you know, I started in 2016, but we'll pretend it's today, 2020 thinking and use 2020 ideas, not 2005 ideas that I was ingrained in me with 15 years of experience. So, um, I know I went off on a little diatribe there but That's what you're that's here why to do, man. <laughs> is, is so overrated.
0: Yeah, no, and, I, and the the more the one thing I like to say is the more I learn about what it takes to become successful in the restaurant industry, the more I realize I don't know shit because there's so <laughs> many different ways to get in. And honestly, if I'm telling somebody with zero experience who's maybe 19, 20, 21, 22, a young adult who wants to get into this industry, I would say go get experience. Not because you need the experience to be successful, more because find out if you like this because unless you get a bunch of money behind you, you got to love it to have the endurance, the, the, the patience to, to stick with it and scale it. Uh, but you're, you are right. And I do get really excited when I get people like yourself who broke into this industry with zero experience within the industry. I mean, I get people on the show from all over the board who've worked for the best restaurant tours in the world. And that's how they climb the ladder through attaching Cheers. their brands with the most successful brands out there. That is absolutely one way to do it. Um, but like you said, the way that you're doing it works for you. You're a serial entrepreneur and you do make a lot of great points. And like I said, I get excited when I get people like you <laughs> on the show because you see things with a clean slate with a, from a new perspective without any bad habits and you can Zig when everyone else zags because you don't have those bad habits. You can do your own thing and that makes you stand out. I and that's a perfect. I agree with that too, 100 percent. There's no one way to do this, but I'm really excited to get your perspective. So let's take it back a little bit further. I know you um you were in the sports field like you were going to be a, a sports Attorney, or not attorney, um, was it agent? An agent? agent that's the word.
1: Yeah, um, I went to law school to be a sports agent.
0: Okay, yeah, and uh, w- one of the reasons why I want to bring Ollie back here, I know that that didn't work for you. You ended up working uh, for a payroll company, take it from there.
1: Yeah, so um, you know, my third year of law school, I had a job lined up to be a sports agent, and I ultimately. Uh, met my wife and we have a little daughter and I decided I didn't want to have to travel around the world representing athletes and grownups um, and be away from my family. So when I graduated law school, I ultimately decided I don't want to, um, I don't want to travel. I I don't want to pursue this career and I I didn't want to be a lawyer. So I have this law degree and uh, student loans of six figures and, you know, a plan that now has changed. And so I had to figure out what was for me. And so I got a job at ADP, the payroll company, selling payroll just so I could start to pay off my law school loans and support my my new family. I had just gotten married and um, or engaged, excuse me. And we had a little daughter. And um, so I had a lot of bills and a lot of debt and I had to start making money. And so a friend of mine got me the job and that's what I kind of did. till I was going to figure out what was next for me. And so I was there six months and um, was able to become the number one sales rep in the country and was extremely successful in sales and selling payroll services and uh, made a lot of money and um, really enjoyed you know, that immediate financial success that that awarded me. But I ultimately had to uh, pivot. And the reason I did is because I earned a bonus, a $17,000 bonus that um, was an annual bonus for achieving some high pin award. And in January of 2007, I went to, to my boss and I said, I'd like my 17000 because I had literally just moved into my brand new house that I had bought with my fiance and daughter. Uh, so all my cash just went into the down payment and that's where I was. And my boss explained to me, I had to wait until the end of the fiscal year, which wasn't until the end of June. And so I'd get the money in July. Whoa. And I decided I wasn't okay with that. Um, because you know, I'm a believer in I earned what I earn and I deserve it. And, um, if I have to wait for some arbitrary date, then what am I sitting here for? So uh, I threatened to quit if they, if they didn't give it to me and um, they called my bluff. So I went home that day and I told my fiance, uh, you know, what I'd like to do is quit my job, uh, sell the house we just moved into, move in with my mom and dad and, and me, you and our daughter can move in there. And I'll start my own payroll company and I'll go steal all my clients back and go after the man, the ADP. And luckily she uh, was supportive. And so were my folks and parents allowed me to do that. And so I quit the very next day, moved my fiance and daughter into my mom's and dad's house and started a payroll company out of my mom's kitchen called IChecks with a buddy of mine. And that was my four range entrepreneurship. And it was really out of spite that got me to become an entrepreneur. Otherwise, I'd probably still be in corporate America making a lot of money and, and enjoying that life. But um, luckily for me, or fortunately for me, I found out early on, I wasn't cut for that. That's just not who I am. And That's kind of how I got into it. So from there, it's been pretty much just nonstop uh, entrepreneurship.
0: Yeah. So the reason why I wanted to have you share that story is because of something that I know you attribute to your success, which is your ability to manage relationships. Uh, And also, I think sales persuasion, uh, whether we want to admit it or not, we are all in the business of sales. We are all trying to persuade people to do something So I think there's two things we can get out of here. What you've learned about relationship capital and what we need to know to be a good salesperson, to persuade. So any lessons, any nuggets you can pull from that experience in your life?
1: Absolutely. Well, first, I'll start with relationship capital because I think it is the most underrated but most important uh, capital any of us have. And it's too often overlooked. Um, People say the word networking, which is cool, but it's really about relationship capital. And Mm -hmm. I attribute it to a bank account. Um, Just like currency, like money. And if you have money in your bank account, you can buy things. If you have relationship capital in your bank account, you can get introductions and doors open for you that you never would have gotten. So I spend more time investing my uh, more of my time. I invest in building relationships than I do in other areas, because for me, I've built my entire career on leveraging relationship capital and growing it and, and investing in it. And it's all about doing it from a perspective of how can I help and what can I do for you? And not waiting until you need something to build relationships, because that's the number one mistake too many people make. They say, "Hey, you know what? I need something. Let me go make a relationship with someone who is where I want to be." Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine, but if you wait till you're, if you're, you know, uh, Jordan Harbinger has a has a saying from a book: uh, "If you wait till you're thirsty to dig a well, you'll be it's too late." Right? Um, it's I mean, like having insurance. Huge and fan and of so, Jordan
0: Harbinger, but, by the way. The two people, the Pat Flynn, your your good friend that you went to high school with, probably. Pat Flynn and Jordan Harbinger, the two podcasts. If you guys aren't listening to that, <laughs> even if you're in the restaurant industry, I think there's great knowledge within both of those. Uh, not if, even if that, even though you are in the restaurant industry, and these aren't restaurant industry specific podcasts, they're both great podcasts. Sorry to interrupt, but keep going.
1: No, no, I think you're right, and and it's about it is about paying investing in it now. Uh, you know, it's it's like having an umbrella in your car, whether it rains or not. Who cares? But if it rains, you're going to be glad you have that umbrella. So. What can I do to help? So I approach every relationship from you know the person, the checkout person at the grocery store to the CEO of a Fortune 50 company that I meet the same way, which is great to meet you. How can I add value to this person's life? Mm-hmm. That's it. It's very simple. So I'm actually more interested than interesting when I talk to them. I'm asking them questions, and I'm trying. And it's a little, it's I gamify it. So this is a little, ta- uh, a little hack. Um, but I try to find one thing I can do or add value to them to help them. So. Is there someone they want to meet that I know? Is there something that I know that they need access to? Do they have a problem that I can help with? If the answer is yes, then phenomenal. I get to make a deposit in a relationship capital bank account with that person day one. And from then on, I have a, I have more money in there than, than, than a negative, right? And so if I ever need something or I ever want something, my hope is that I can use that in the future. And so that's a game that I play about always trying to build my, my relationship capital accounts with as many people as I can, whether or not I ever need it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Who doesn't want to have a lot of money in the bank?
0: Well, it's really interesting. You started this little riff by saying that you like to think of as relationships as capital. And the truth is, all money is is a way to manage relationships. That's that's like how money became a thing. And there's a lot of scientists out there like anthropologists like researching the history of money and they're starting to realize like we thought that these shells that I can't remember what part of the world they're, they're in these shells um, that we thought was capital was really just a way to track favors. So if you had so if you did a favor for somebody like you get a shell right? And then now you have all these different shells and you can, and it's your reminder to, you know, that you're in debt to this relationship because, and it's just a way to manage and track relationships. And that has evolved into the modern currency, but really all money is, is a way to, manage relationships it's, it's 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 about the relationship first and we've in our modern world we're blind to that and it's so disgusting how we're blind to that we've completely stripped the human element from the transaction you know it's that's where we are and we i think we're starting to we're starting to, to, to shift back in the other way now we're starting to realize it's all about relationships
1: yeah i mean i i wouldn't be where i am but for them and um you know if i had to start over in any new city with from from zero um all I would want to do is start meeting people in and around the town and get to know as many people as I can and add value. Yeah. And by doing that, I'm putting myself in a position to uh, be successful later and be put myself in a position for opportunities that I never knew existed. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times in my life, uh, relationships that when I started with them, I didn't know that they would ever provide value to me. But because I paid it forward first, uh, they were like, you know, they learn about something I'm doing, and then they're like, "Oh my God, my cousin, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, friend is so and so, and you should talk to them because they're this." Yeah. And then you're like, "Oh my gosh, I would love to meet that yeah. person," and that person now just opened a door for me that I never would have had before. And it sounds the way I'm saying it might sound like I'm doing it from a selfish perspective, but I am. But all good deeds are selfish. Whether you give to charity or not, it makes you feel good. It's selfish. So by me paying it forward and helping somebody without any uh, ask in return. It is in case one day I might need something. Sure. So what? You're yeah. still helping that
0: person today. Well, you bring up a really good point. I think that the word that comes to mind is altruism, right? But is altruism a, a real thing? Is there something going on in our subconscious that is self-serving? We're doing this thing. We want to, you know, like I, I don't know if altruism is completely <laughs> achievable. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the word altruism, is basically you're just doing it for the good of doing it. And I think there's a lot of that comes up, but we can we 100% always be altruistic? I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily the bad thing to do. What's good for your best interest. It's not, it's, it's, it, we all do it. We're hardwired to do that. It's part of being a human, right? Correct. Um,
1: and, and feelings, right? I mean, if something yeah. you do makes you feel good, I can argue that that is a selfish act because you are doing it for the good feeling, right? Yeah. I don't put my hand on a, on a hot stove because it doesn't feel good. Um, <laughs> so I don't do that. Right. But exactly. if I, if I do something that feels good, Yes, I. it might not be my true intent. My 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 cognitive thought might not be, oh, this is in my best interest. But I'm saying it because we all will have the power to do what's in our best interest long-term every single day. And too many people blow off opportunities to meet great people because they don't see the value in that person right now. And that is the biggest mistake you're making. And if you stop doing that, your entire life will change.
0: Yes, man. I'm so happy we went into this. So the big two takeaways that I want to pull from that is... You know, you don't wait to dig your well like you said so gracefully like the quote from Jordan Harbinger uh don't wait until you need something to ask always be giving so you're you know you got you know you put equity into something that, that relationship so you can get you take a bigger you know re, uh credit out you can take more out when you need it don't wait until you need it uh and then also treat everybody like they, they, they might have something you need. And I think sometimes, where does that come up in the restaurant industry? All the time on the show, we say, treat every guest like they're a future investor. And if you have that mentality, because you never know who your guests are, they might and they might fall in love with you. And, and you don't know their background. You don't know what they're capable of doing to help you out. So treat every person that you touch like they're a future investor of your business. And they will be. They'll, they'll invest with their patronism even, even if they're not, they're not giving you, know, uh, you know, cash deposit early on. But in some way, somehow, they will be investing in you if you, if you have that mentality, great way to get this thing started, man.
1: Um, so, and that's exactly how it happened for me, really? uh, to be honest. So, you know, when I started Everbull, I self-funded the first couple of restaurants and had never and in, no intention of of raising capital. Uh, but our two rules at Everbull are make friends and have fun, and it's make friends with every customer who walks through that door and treat them like a friend. And by doing that, I got inundated with franchise requests and investor requests, and I ended up mm-hmm. taking some some of them, and they were my initial investors, and that allowed me to go from four stores to ten stores really quickly. Ooh, and that doesn't to- happen, but for uh, us making friends with every single customer who walks through the door, regardless, you know, yeah, they're, they're spending nine dollars or eight dollars on a bowl, um, so. Who knows what they are, but it's about making that connection. It's about investing in that person and learning about them and becoming their
0: friend. Yes. I love this. So anything else that we can pull from your story, um, selling payroll services, um, or I know you had a digital marketing agency and I'm sure that that's those skills that you pull from, from building that company are serving you to this day, but I don't want to move ahead too fast. Anything we need to pull from your backstory before moving to the next stage?
1: Well, to answer the second part of your question about sales, um, You know, people I hear all the time. Oh, I'm not a salesperson or I'm not good at sales or I'm not into sales. And I got some bad news for you. Uh, Everyone is in sales. You're selling everything every day, Um, whether you're trying to move up the corporate ladder, whether you're trying to get that job, even if you want to be a teacher or a police officer or a firefighter or a gardener or a painter, uh, you have to sell yourself. You have to sell your ability. You have to sell your skills. You have to sell your ideas. You have to sell your values. And if you don't know how to articulate that in in a, a way that can create somebody um, or allow somebody to understand it and see it from your perspective, you're going to always be climbing uphill and working against yourself. So focus on self-development, get better at it, practice. You know, I mean, I can't stress it enough. Sales has been, uh, it is the number one skill in in business and in the workforce. You have to be able to sell. Regardless, if you're selling a product or service, you're selling yourself. So, yeah, um,
0: absolutely, you're, you're selling your perspective, your opinion. And there's a great book out there by Daniel Pink, "To Sell Is Human." If anybody wants to dive deeper into this topic, for sure. Um, but I, th- I feel like you got your thoughts out. I don't want to. I don't want to cut you too short, though. You made no, your point, no, right? It's, yeah, it's <laughs> you're doing great, man. I'm loving this conversation. So, uh, moving on. Um, how did you get into digital marketing? And how much of your life was dedicated to that? Was it another three (laughs) years? Or
1: (laughs) Yeah. So um, after I sold my payroll company, I had a recruiting agency. I sold that. And then I was kind of uh, figuring out what I wanted to do next. And my youngest daughter was just born. It was end of 2011. And I had missed so much of my oldest childhood because we opened a payroll company, opened offices in L.A., And then we had clients nationwide. So I was always gone and working hard and traveling. And I figured, you know what? The better way to work and be around my family was to work from a computer because then I have flexibility in my schedule. And um, I figured the computer wasn't going anywhere as more businesses were really starting to adopt online uh, marketplaces and things were kind of scaling and growing on that side digitally. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to start a digital marketing company. And, uh, you know, similar story to the restaurants. I, I barely knew how to use a computer. I mean, obviously, I could check email and surf the internet, but that was it. And, you know, I didn't know what the word CRM meant or SEO or PPC or any of those fun, you know, uh, industry terms. And so that's actually uh, fun how I reached out to Pat Flynn, a buddy of mine from high school. And I gave him a call in 2011 and I said, hey, Pat, how's it going? You know, we caught up for a little bit and had some lunch and I said, I'd like to pay you to teach me digital marketing. He had recently you know, started his smart passive income website and was really showing how to do it online. And I was like, hey, you know what, I'll pay you personally to be my coach to coach me because uh, another hack in life is everyone should have a coach and everyone should have a mentor which i'll I'll get into later um and so i wanted him to be my coach i wanted to pay him to help figure this out and uh i'll never forget it he he said jeff the name of my business is smart passive income and that's not passive so uh, as much as i'm happy to help i'm not going to be your coach um but you should meet a guy named neil patel and i said who's neil and he's like oh my god you need to know who neil is he's like the number one digital marketer and SEO guy on the planet. And um, if you're going to get into the space, you probably want to know who he is. So leveraging relationship capital, I asked him if he could make an intro for me and he did. And um, we had a call set up. And so, you know, I knew I had a call with Neil and my mind went to, okay, I need to be different. I need to disrupt. I have no experience. So how am I going to add value to Neil and make him want to work for me or with me or let me pay him to help me or whatever it was going to be. Um, so I used my skills and I went out and I sold a six figure digital marketing client before I met Neil. And when Neil and I had our call, I said, Hey, I have a six figure check for you. I just closed our first client. Uh let's talk about how we're gonna serve them and sell a lot more. And and that perspective was so unique for him. Uh it was very different than all the other calls that he had. (laughs) So uh we met and we ended up becoming very good friends and we ended up partnering together and working together for about four and a half years, and he's one of my best friends now. And uh, we scaled, I scaled and grew a digital marketing agency and sold it at the end of 2015.
0: Yeah, and I love this. I got to slam on the brakes with two feet right now just because I love this mentality. And it, it, you've already said this in, in our conversation leading up to this point, but when you approach somebody looking for something, don't approach them saying, this is what I want from you. Approach them saying, this is what I can offer you. And when you take that approach, it almost always t- turns out to be a better outcome. And and especially, especially when you're going to a mentor, don't go to a mentor asking for all their knowledge. Go to them saying, hey, I noticed you're really great at this. I'm really great at this. Let me use what I'm great at to add value to your life. And when you do that, when you show up with that value they will appreciate you. You know, they, when you mm-hmm. give, they will see you, they will appreciate you and they will be that much more willing to add value to your life. And I, and that example, you just spread out. There is just a perfect picture of what that should look like. So I just want to put emphasis on that.
1: Um, well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely allows you to stand out, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the concept of if you're, ca- if you're calling somebody or meeting somebody of stature in your industry or what, whatever they are um, and you need or want their help, or you want to get on their radar, stand out. Because if you stand the, and look the same as everyone else, you're going to get the autopilot response. If I had called Neil and said, Hey, Neil, I don't know anything about the computer world or the internet world. You're the expert. Will you work with me and help me? He would have been like, Great, you're the millionth person to ask me that question. And most of the people who ask me have more experience than you. I'm not interested. But what I was able to do was show Neil value in an area that others don't, which is I don't need you to sell. I'm good at that. I've already built my relationship capital. I have an ecosystem that is untapped for you. I'm going to add serious money into your bank account by joining me. What I don't have is the expertise you already have. So, Neil, you don't have to do anything different from what you're already doing. You don't have to sell, which you don't like to do. You don't have to manage relationships, which you don't like to do. You don't have to go out and and cold call and prospect. I'm going to do all that, and I have a world ready for you. All I need you to do is keep doing what you're already the best at, And now you get to monetize that again, without changing anything. And I'm going to do all the things that you don't want to do. And together, we're going to build a company because I'm good at the stuff that you're not at. And you're great at stuff I'm not. And so by outlining it that way, it was really easy. It was just like a natural pivot for him to say, well, yeah, I have nothing to lose to work with you. If you get no clients, I do nothing. If you get clients, I get paid and, and we have a company. So phenomenal. Let's do that. I and we were able to do
0: that. Yeah. And to lean on anthropology again, this, the study of humans, the study of us, we are meant to be tribal. We're meant to not be able to do it on our own. If you were to take any one of us knuckleheads and put us out into the, the wild 10,000 years ago by yourself, we would have been eaten in a heartbeat. Um, and we've, and we still have these traits of, of being better together and knowing where you fit within your, your, your community is so important and to, to know your strengths. So you can use those strengths to be of value to somebody else. I love this stuff, man. So, um, I think we can start to move forward. I mean, how long were you doing in the digital marketing thing solely before you started adding other projects to your, your arsenal? Uh,
1: 2012 to 2015. So right uh, around that the was time pretty much you, the main focus.
0: Yeah. So right around the time you started opening Everbull,
1: I opened Everbull October of 16. So I, t- I, I like to take some time off when I, I'm done with a project. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, okay. I had a few other companies in between. So did you but, sell the digital um,
0: marketing? What did you sell the digital marketing?
1: Sold our clients.
0: Okay. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So I think now's a good time to take a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. You hear me say it all the time on the show. This industry is all about relationships and people, but Even though you might be geared towards relationships and people, you still need to know your numbers. And if numbers is not your thing, I got to tell you about this book. Quick Books for Restaurants, a bookkeeping and accounting guide by Zach Weiner. This is the back office restaurant accounting guide you've been searching for. Zach Weiner covers accounting fundamentals, including sales tracking, purchasing, bill paying, invoicing, managing day-to-day liabilities, gift certificate tracking, cash management, detailed reporting, and so much more. Ultimately, Zach shows owners and operators how to create the accurate financials and reporting that will enable them to make better informed, data-driven decisions. To learn more and to get Zach's book, head to zachwinercom slash unstoppable. That's Z-A-C-W-E. I N E R.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, if you use that link, you will save 50% off a one-on-one consulting call. Yeah, that's right. What are you waiting for? We're back. And now I want to start diving into how this vision for Everbull, you know, started to develop and then how you started living intentionally to achieve that vision. So where did, yeah. did the vision pop up?
1: Well, so I've, I've always been, uh, you know, outside of my family and business, my biggest passion is, is health and wellness. Um, I believe it's easier to prevent illness than cure illness. Um, you know, I'm a bit of a hypochondriac, so I've always kind of researched and studied longevity and prevention of disease, you know. And being that I was in a position in life now where, um, you know, I don't have to focus just on making money. I, I can do things that I'm passionate about. Um, I was like, you know what, this is a great opportunity for me to jump full into something I'm truly passionate about health and wellness and a word I created and trademarked unevolved, which is on my shirt uh, and it's on the back of my hat. It's on the front of our employees t-shirts. It's a lifestyle. It's a movement. Um, you know, it simply is defined to unevolve, to live and eat the way we were meant to, to uh, live actively and eat stuff that's been around forever. And recognizing that the biggest things that are plaguing Americans pre COVID-19 was heart disease, stroke, obesity, and cancer. And when you look at those four diseases and those four conditions uh, scientists are showing over 80% of that is is not genetic, it's lifestyle, which means it's behaviors that we are doing in society that are kind of creating them the, these perils for us. And so, if we can stop doing those things that are hurting us, we can pretty much wipe out 80% of, of the these conditions from people in and around, you know, friends and family and all of this. So, um, I looked at it and I was like, okay, so I got to help people move their bodies and I got to help people eat right. Well, Although I'm really big into fitness, I am not a fitness expert and I'm not someone who wants to try to get people to exercise, that's hard to do. So I looked at food because uh, you know there's a famous saying you can't you can't outwork or out exercise a bad diet. And we eat more than we exercise. So what is causing us to eat poorly? Why are we killing ourselves with the food choices we make? And so I did some research and I came up with the four excuses that I've kind of narrowed it down that I can sum up bad eating choices in one of these four excuses. And it either it costs too much to eat healthy or we believe it does. It doesn't taste good or we believe it doesn't. It doesn't fill us up and leave us satisfied or we just can't get it. We're in a hurry and we need a drive. through It's one of those four. So if I can give someone something that's affordable, filling, delicious and accessible and it's good for them, they will consciously choose that over the bad thing pretty much every time. So Everbowl was meant to basically solve those four excuses and to provide quality nutrition made from stuff that's been around forever, which is our tagline and part of the definition of unevolved. And we wanted to provide bowls that are affordable, filling, delicious, and accessible. So I had to open a lot of restaurants really quickly so they were accessible to people everywhere. I had to make the price point affordable. So I basically took the cost of a Big Mac meal and reverse engineered my menu. So that's how much my bowls cost because 60 million Americans eat at McDonald's every day. and. Uh, the big Mac meal is affordable, uh, filling. I wanted to give people more value. So my bowls are bigger than everyone, my competitors and much bigger than everyone else's. So you left full and satisfied. And I let you have unlimited toppings and choose whatever you want. So therefore I know you're going to like it. And that was how I kind of walked into it. And, um, it was, uh, July 22nd, 2016. I went to a smoothie King in Poway, California to buy a smoothie uh, I was visiting a friend in Poway, or a, a previous client of mine. But I was visiting them, and the owner of the Smoothie King was literally taking things down. Uh, he was putting things in his van, and I was like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm retiring at the end of the week, and we're closing."
0: So and you, I said to him, "So you went to a Smoothie King to to Were you there to like do some research, or were you just looking for no? A
1: just to get a smoothie. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. (laughs) I was, uh, I needed something healthy. And so I chose smoothie King. (laughs) There was one right there and I stopped in it. Gotcha. Um, and the guy was literally putting things in his van and, Um, he said he was retiring at the end of the week and he tried to sell the business, but he was asking too much. And so I asked for the landlord's number, the landlord and me spoke. I signed the lease August 2nd without a name or menu. Um, and August 2nd, 2016, I signed my lease and we opened October of 2016. And between August 2nd and October, I built a menu and figured out the name and figured out the concept exactly of what I was going to do. But I signed the lease first. So So, I knew I was in And, and it was kind of a culmination of, uh, the four excuses was, after August 2nd, I, I forgot that part, but from August 2nd to October, I did that research, came up with that, uh, worked with Eric Grosell my branding, uh, branding, uh, partner and the guy who does all of our branding. And we came up with the name because, um, I didn't really have a good name when I signed the lease. And, um, I signed the lease just as Jeff Fenster, since I had no name for the business. And, Use that time to basically figure out what I was going to sell. And that's so, kind of how Everble started. But I just knew I always <laughs> wanted to do it. And I was, I uh, wanna when make I sure as the Smoothie King was going out, that was my, that was my time.
0: I want to make sure I understand this correctly. So this vision that you share with us came after you realized that there was a smoothie shop available for sale. Or it came before and then the, the smoothie shop becoming uh, available was a serendipitous.
1: Well, I always knew I wanted to have a health and wellness restaurant, uh, whether it was going to be a, a juice shop, a smoothie shop, a bowl gotcha. shop, like all of that was after I had always eaten superfoods and, and I wanted to basically provide superfoods to people. Um, so for me, it was it was not a question of like, oh, I knew Everbowl bowl and I knew all my bowls when I before I signed the lease. No, that is just not true. I, I did not have any of that. Literally two weeks before the day we opened, I was had a bunch of friends over Gave them a bunch of food and, and then decided my menu literally two weeks before we opened. I knew I wanted to own a superfood restaurant, though what I was going to sell was secondary. The name was secondary. And so it was kind of like I always knew I was going to do that. Uh, I was waiting for the right opportunity. The Smoothie King was going out. And that was true. my right opportunity. Yeah, was- I signed it and then I honed the, the concept over the next two months. So we opened.
0: So this was like in you somewhere. And then this experience of the, the smoothie king going out of business triggered all those emotions and you, and you saw the opportunity. Um, Correct. So you said one of the things that you didn't really have well locked down was branding um, and you needed a good brand. What makes a good brand? How, how did you settle on bowl? Why is that a good brand?
1: Well, so Everbull is, uh, first of all, it's the best name, right? So, you know, I'll take you back to the movie The Founder. And, you know, there's a line in there when, when Ray Kroc is talking to the original McDonald's. And, uh, you know, they said, why don't you just steal the concept? He's like, it's the name. And, you know, when I heard Everbull for the first... So I, I came up with the name Bowls. Okay. And that was going to be my name. You know, yeah, it's okay. It sucks. <laughs> Let's just call a spade a spade. Um, and Eric and me, you know, I, I was... Uh, Eric's a friend of mine, and he's a phenomenal brander, and, and he had his own company. and And I said, you know, hey, I'm doing this thing. He's like, oh, let me help you. And he, he, he I remember us I having a phone call. He's like, I think I came up with a name. I don't love it, but I think I, I think I like it enough to tell it to you. I'm like, what is it? And he said, Everbull. And I said, Everbull. And I said it out loud a few times, and I just loved it. it it's. Everbowl. It's evergreen. It's whatever you want it to be. It's whatever bowl. It's everbowl for everybody. And you put the word ever in front of almost anything and it sounds good.
0: Yeah. And um, I think it feeds into your concept of putting anything in the bowl that you want, which is maybe correct. you just said that. Uh, sorry if I missed it.
1: Um, no, that's I love correct. That. And, and because my tagline for uh, and I knew that I wanted to promote the unevolved lifestyle of living actively and eating stuff that's been around forever, then instantly everbowl became tagline became made from stuff that's been around forever.
0: Got you. I love it. Um, so, moving forward, um, you, you got you, you told us how you got this this property. Um, you know, and I love that idea of turnkey. Um, be someone's exit strategy. And, and why is that a good idea? And why did you did you did you have that in the back of your mind as you're going through this?
1: Well, I, I knew I didn't know anything about restaurants, and um, I knew a smoothie king that was successful for twenty years at least had a built in population of people like me that were looking for something healthy. So, like, I went to that smoothie king. You know, um, if he was there for 20 years successfully and he was just retiring and it wasn't that the business failed, um, I knew that, okay, at least I have this built-in population that will come give Everbull, you know, a try. And so for me or Thrivebull or whatever I was going to call it. So it, uh, it was really just, okay, great. I'm going to start this restaurant. People will come and try it. If they don't like it, well then I, I lose. I screw it. I'm just, you know, I'll figure it out. Yes. Yeah, but so- if they do like it, I haven't built in. So, you know, I didn't need to reinvent the wheel. I didn't need to figure out, you know, all the other areas of, okay, how am I going to get customers in the door and all these things? I knew I had some people that were going to show up just looking for that smoothie because that's their go-to and I'll see if I can't turn them.
0: Now, were you trying to, well, uh, before I ask that question, um, I'm assuming because you had success in your previous businesses, you didn't have any investors going into this. I think you mentioned that earlier. You never really wanted to have investors, right?
1: Correct. Now I self-funded the first, uh, the first four restaurants. um, And I, I was just planning on, on doing it myself.
0: Yeah. Now, are you comfortable talking about numbers? That initial investment, sure.
1: So, yeah, co- uh, my first restaurant cost me just just around two hundred thousand.
0: That's Amazing. That's a great deal. So, what was it that uh, was it, was it because it was turnkey? Was it because you really didn't have to invest in any other uh, resources, or did you? I don't want to make assumptions.
1: No. Um. You know, it was that it was already a smoothie shop, so I didn't. You know, I I rebranded the way it looks, um, but I took the flow, and luckily the guy left the entire back of house or a water heater, Mm -hmm. three compartment sink, dump sink, you know, racks, all the stuff that you need in a restaurant was left there. So it was like phenomenal. This is great. I get to basically turnkey a restaurant from the same concept, just a, a little tweak on it. And it just became, you know, yeah, I had to buy my own blenders and my own, you know, inventory and training and licensing and signage and decor and, you know, all of that stuff, of course. And we wanted to make it look like ours. I mean, Smoothie King is a uh, very bright colored. If you go on my Instagram, you can see a picture of what it used to look like to what it looks like now. Uh, you know, so there was definitely trade dress that had to get changed, but that the majority of the expense also was just dummy tax, really. Yeah. I mean, it was learning. I mean, my, my first restaurant cost me that. I can tell you I don't spend anywhere near that now. <laughs> <I bet.
0: laughs> so, okay. Uh, thank you for breaking that down. And I guess the question I had is when you opened, you you were planning on there already being traffic, your demographic, your target market was already aware of this location. You just had to get them used to your new brand. Did you promote out of the gates or did you intentionally open under the radar so you could get your systems down? Like, What approach did you take? Having no experience, in the industry? Like, I mean, how did that even look?
1: So I asked around just to get some advice and everyone's like, Oh, do a coupon. buy one get one, fifty percent off 50% off first weekend and all this stuff. And you know, I decided not forget that. Um, I had seven employees that I hired and I told all seven of them to go tell all their friends and family, we're giving away free food and bring them on and just know that as many people who show up, you guys make food for it. And that was it. <laughs> so my opening salvo, if you will, was house party at Everball with free food. And, uh, I expected like 50 to 70 people, but I forgot that I hired high school kids and you tell high school kids free food and literally the entire Poway high school showed up that night. And we think we did 350 or 400 people the very first night, um, of free food. And the good news is, is I got to meet 350 to 400 potential customers and put my food in their mouth and they left. And the ones who liked it came back and, uh, told a friend and that's kind of just how we grassrooted it. And, you know, I hung a sign on the outside that says now open. But that's it. I mean, I still to this day don't really do much in, by way of advertising. Um, I believe advertising is feeding people and let the food dictate whether or not they come back. And I try to humanize the experience by making friends and having fun and really provide a good experience. And it's all about, you know, the vibe of the store and, and, and building rapport with our customers. And that's really what we do. And it's one customer at a time, one bowl at a time.
0: So you mentioned this earlier, making friends and having fun. But really, what does that mean? Break that, break that down. I feel like if you tell a bunch of high school kids or young adults to ha- make make friends and have fun, it could get a little dangerous. So how do you make friends and have fun and do it in a way that's productive? And what is that? What are you actually communicating in that statement?
1: Well, I think there's a lot. If you if you un if you peel back what make friends and have fun means, there's a lot, right? So making friends, whether it's my employees with each other or my employees with a customer, you don't insult a friend, you don't leave a friend you know, at the movie waiting for you, you show up on time, you treat them with respect. You give them the respect of their ideas. Um, You obviously are honest with them. You don't steal. You don't do things that would hurt them. So there's a lot of things that just by simply saying, make friends, it's very easy to communicate. And when you know, um, when you know, okay, make friends, then you know what that is. It's like, Oh, did what, is what I'm doing? Something I would do to make a friend. If the answer is no, don't do that. If the answer is yes, do it. Same thing with a customer. If a customer's having a bad experience, You don't need to belittle them. You don't need to call them a liar. What would you do if it was your friend at your house and they didn't like their food? You'd make them something else. So make the customer something else. Mm. The customer drops their food on the floor. Make them something else. If the customer's having a bad day, don't propel it, right? Help and have fun because- You know it's human nature. If you walk down the street and see a stranger and you frown at them, they're going to frown back at you. If you smile at them, then they're going to smile back. So it's about having fun and creating a good experience, a good atmosphere, and people will naturally be uplifted from it, and therefore the vibe will elevate. And the other thing is, we're selling health food, and when you're having a bad day, you don't eat healthy, so um, naturally you're not going to come in. So the people who are coming in are already trying to have a good day, feeling good, looking good, we're having just worked out, or wanting to to be good, or you know something. So. We just have to keep that going. And so it was easy for us. So make friends and have fun is really just how our culture is built. And it's the two rules to be at Everball. And that's really what we focus on.
0: I love it. Um, so when you, you, when you were making this concept, when you're, when you're creating the vision for your, your, your restaurants, you knew that you wanted to scale fast because it had to be convenient. It had to be, that was one of the, the important parts of your, your plan is convenience. So, um, at any point while trying to, to say over the past three years, um, has it ever been a fear of yours that you might grow too fast, that you might not have the people you need to grow at the, the rate you want to grow? I'm, I'm assuming you've identified that as being a potential challenge. So I'm just curious as to what your solution is to combat that.
1: Well, I, I don't think growing too fast is ever a bad thing. I think that if you grow too fast, when people say, oh, we grew too fast, they, you only can grow too fast if you don't have the right processes in place and the right foundation. Um, so for us, it's all about, you know, it's something that I've done my whole career, which is vertical integration of multiple startups to solve my problems. So, um, you know, for us to grow, you know, I bring in great people who allow us to grow and, and, you know, I can't grow f- faster than I can with my hands. So as long as my entire team is working like, like I am, we're not going to grow too fast. We're going to grow just in time and things are going to happen just in time. And so, um, you know, are there are growing pains, of course, but there's also, there's also non-growing pains. You know, and and if you only look at the things that are, are hard because you grow, then yeah, you can say, oh, we grew too fast. I'll say, no, you just didn't you just didn't do the right things when you were growing. It's the same thing of not growing fast enough. Um, you know, so what one are the way right things- open another store?
0: What are the right things to do while you're growing? What are the things that you think people don't do that get them in trouble when they do grow fast, but they're not doing these things?
1: Well, I think that when they they they. If I digress for a second, when they're growing, they, they don't choose the right path to grow. They're gro- they're, they don't understand why they're growing. Um, if you're growing because you're having tremendous success at one location and you think your concept has legs, that's great. Open another one. If you're growing because of ego, that's a bad reason to grow. Mm. So, you know, for me, it wasn't some arbitrary growth number. It was what communities need this product that don't have it. What are underserved communities? If we find one, let's open. I built a construction company called We Build to build my own restaurant. So now I have a team of people sitting around waiting for me to tell them, go build something. Um, you know, and then we brought in some great people. Brian Augustine came in as our chief development officer, and his main job was to develop and train our staff through Everbull University. So I need to bring new recruits in. So if I'm growing, you know, oh, I can't hire fast enough. Well, we have a team. That's what they do. So, yeah, we can hire fast enough. People want to grow inside. You know, the number one reason people leave restaurants that I, from my staff talking to is opportunity. They move on to what they call their career because they don't feel they have a career in quick serve restaurants. Mm. But why don't they? Because there's not growth opportunities. Yes. So if you grow fast enough, you're creating new opportunities for people to grow within and people to elevate their careers. You're not going to have as much turnover. Yes. So Now you have better quality people growing with your organization. They're excited. They're thrilled. So, you know, same thing with cost of goods. How do you improve your cost of goods? You improve your buying power. How do you improve your buying power? Sell more product. How do you sell more product? Have more outlets, so I'm solving problems by by building more stores. So the factor of the store being break even or profitable or losing money is a secondary problem. My first problem is I need to I want to I want to retain my talent, so I want to create opportunity for them. My second problem is I want to drive my cost of goods down and make my profitable stores more profitable. So I need to buy more product and I need to show my vendors and suppliers a path that says, Hey, I want to I want to give this guy a better deal because this company's growing. How do I attract investors? Growth. How do I attract visibility and get news stories written about us growth? So growth solved all of these other challenges I had from my, my couple stores of finding and, and, and recruiting great talent, having them have a path to stay with us, getting visibility, getting investors, getting, uh, you know, articles and, and notoriety, and et cetera. So the growth side for me was, was the restaurants being successful was a secondary component. So I looked at it as, okay, I'm going to go invest and build another restaurant. Once I do that, yes, I want it to be profitable and we're going to do it in a profitable way, but we've proven we can do that. Mm -hmm. So my good people are going to do it again with better, better margins because my food is costing me less, less capex because I figured out a way to build them cheaper. And by opening more stores, I'm attracting more investors, which brings more money and which allows me to grow faster. And so the the, the wheel works in my favor on these uh, on this way. And so, you know, it's just a matter of you know, not spreading yourself too thin and making sure you have the right people in place. But if you have the right people in place, I don't think you can grow too fast.
0: Yeah. And I, and I, like, I'll be honest, like this, what we're talking about right now, vertical integration is the biggest reason why I wanted to get you on the show. When I heard that was a big part of your business plan, st- speaking with Pat on his show. I was like, I got to get Jeff on the show to learn more about vertical integration because I, like we mentioned in the beginning of today's conversation, the importance of relationships. It's all about relationships. Money is about relationships. So where your money is going, there should be, something beyond just a transaction there. There should be a relationship. And if you can use your business to create opportunities for those relationships in your life and to to go in, and I always, the the acronym I use is when you're growing your business, it shouldn't be to go out. You you shouldn't have an outward mindset, but an inward mindset. What can I be doing in my business every day to make the relationships in my business stronger, better, and put that money into your relationships that are the closest to you? Do you agree with that statement?
1: I do. I absolutely agree with that. So
0: statement. if we want to take this vertical integration, it's the same kind of concept that uh, Zingerman's uses with uh, their community of business, right? They have the opportunity to scale their delicatessen across the country. They decided to scale it locally. I mean, there's different ways of vertically integrate, but what, what elements does a business need? If we want to think with a vertical integration mindset, what things does our business need to be able to sustain that? Like what type of business entity does it need to be? What types, what elements do we need to think of if we haven't considered that yet?
1: So I'm going to just share with you how I, how I've always used it. Um, I use it as a, as a very big tool in my, in my tool chest. Um, I look at the repeatable things I'm doing again and again and again and again. And I look at those things and I say, what are the pain points? So for me it was, I want to build a lot of restaurants and building restaurants are expensive. It's a big time hassle having to make sure that the construction company knows how to do it right. Um, you know, there, There's a huge markup on the cost because there's feast and famine in that industry. And I don't know anything about construction. So for me, it was, okay, well, knowing I want to build a lot of restaurants, what if I start my own construction farm and we build our own stores? We fabricate them ourselves. Well, two things happen from that. Number one, I start to get economies of scale from that. And I start to own that IP. So my team knows what to do. Like My amount of time that Jeff Fencer has to spend on construction is next to zero compared to what it was on the first two when I had to make sure that it was designed right, that they sourced the right fixtures and, and and pieces and, and, you know, checks and all of the different things that I had to do, which I didn't really want to do and permitting and all this other stuff. Now it's just a cookie cutter, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat like McDonald's. Um, so that was a problem. So I knew I had to do it again and again, sourcing acai, right. I'm sourcing an exotic ingredient. It's not like it's ketchup. Um, so it's expensive. So I'm, I'm stuck at the, you know, mercy of the industry and these middlemen who are sourcing it and bringing it over. So I went down to Brazil and I sourced my own acai and I said, OK, I'm going to be building a lot of restaurants and I want to have my own proprietary, my, my own proprietary brand. So I did that. So I vertically integrated the, the, the importation of superfoods into Everbowl because now I get to control my own vertical supply chain. So you I'm created in control of that. you
0: created a business, a separate entity within underneath your umbrella of businesses. That sole job is to import Asahi.
1: Correct. And same thing with WeBuild. WeBuild We Build is its own entity. Uh, it's called WeBuild Stuff LLC. Uh, we Build Stuff and We Build Everballs. Um, and as a result of that, now when we're franchising Everball for the first time, I'm going to build my franchisee stores. I'm going to source and sell them Asahi. So I'm going to do it cheaper and better than they can cheaper and more on brand than they can get it done by anyone else. So I'm saving them money. I'm making more money for my enterprise and I'm keeping my guys busy where they're getting, becoming even bigger experts at this one same thing. The same thing I did with my payroll business. You know, when I had a payroll company, I always would like to add value to my clients. So the same thing about adding value. When I talk to a customer or a client, I say, how can I help? What are your biggest pain points? But when I started my payroll company, iChecks, it was in the height of the Rece- the great recession in 2008, 2009. So the number one problem my clients were having is they couldn't find talent because the unemployment pool was so high, very similar to today. And the people who had jobs weren't leaving. They weren't changing because there was fear that if they left a stable job for something new, who knows? And so they couldn't grow. So I started a recruiting agency simply to help my payroll clients find and recruit talent because they weren't recruiters. So I figured if I could get them to recruit more talent, they would have more paychecks and I sold them paychecks. So every time they paid an employee, I got paid. So the more employees they had, the more money I made. So starting a recruiting agency was vertically integrated into my payroll business as its own entity. And when I sold my payroll business, I still had my recruiting agency, which I was able to sell a year later uh, as a standalone business. And so that is how I started with vertical integration. And I've used it again and again throughout my career because it's so often overlooked. My superpower is I'm a startup serial entrepreneur. I know how to start companies. So why am I not starting companies to solve my problems? When I vertically integrate multiple startups to solve my business problems of my main business, as long as what the core business of these uh, other ancillaries does is help me solve a problem with my main business, it's not a distraction, right? I'm not starting a barber, a barber shop because it has no correlation to Everbull. Everything I'm doing from Superfuel Coffee, which is the world's first acai-infused coffee line, which you can get on Amazon, little plug, Um It was great. I love coffee. I love superfoods. My USP was you drink coffee every day. You don't always have access to superfoods. Why not drink superfoods with your coffee? Well, I import my own acai. So I have all this extra acai and I love coffee. So I started that company. It's called Superfuel Coffee. It's an Everbull brand. It's now sold on Amazon. And now I get to leverage my digital marketing background to use the computer and the internet to sell products and grow the Everbull brand. And now I can geo-target locations before I ever open stores and I get to put the brand out there and start building a relationship with a customer without them ever having to leave their house. It also helped us during the COVID-19 crisis keep revenue coming in. Um, we also launched Later Bowls, which is going to be on QVC in a couple of weeks, which is us selling acai bowls that are unblended directly to your house. so You can make them later. We call them Later Bowls. Same concept. I own the acai. I own the product. So for me to find other revenue streams and other ways to vertically integrate what I already created into my main business, it gets everyone into the home. It gets everyone on your tongue. It gets you to become a customer and us to start to have that transactional relationship going. So all of these ancillaries are just vertically integrated to my main business, which is the restaurant.
0: Yes, Jeff, this is gold, man. I'm loving what you're giving us. I think the big takeaway is... You know, you need to have that vision of where you want to be, what you want to go, and you need to be paying attention to what your pain points are along the way to get there. And those pain points, if that's not your thing, if that's not your jam, why not create an opportunity for somebody you know who's strong in those verticals? Again, it's about these relationships. You approach people say, Hey, I have a value proposition for you. I have this problem. It's an opportunity for you because you're, you solve these problems. You're, you, this is, th- this problem I have is where you excel. So now you're g- going to them with an opportunity, right? Whether that be a partner for your construction or a partner for importing right and you're giving somebody an opportunity uh and i think just trying to find where opportunities over or where pain points oper- overlay opportunity for those in your network is that kind of the trend that I'm, I'm seeing or am i making that up
1: Nope, you nailed it i mean that listen uh when there's pain there's opportunity yes right when when that's that's where opportunity lives when when times are good opportunity is, is harder to find so, okay. uh, because everyone is everyone is able to do everything. It's when it's when you have a pain point. Is when instead of looking at it as oh my gosh I have this major problem, flip it around. Oh my gosh I have this incredible opportunity, and now I answer the question.
0: The only other question I have regarding this vertical integration because when you're vertically integrating and you're having all these uh, businesses, do you own all the businesses outright, or are you are you selling percentages? Are there people that you're bringing on to? You know who who have the skills that you need to execute that that appendage of your business. Are they getting an equity of that part of the business? Um, how do you manage? Like, how do you draw lines around certain businesses and protect the like the whole? You, uh, do you know what I'm trying to say? Does I do. I do. And, and I
1: think there's no right answer. I mean, the way I do it is um, I believe anyone who invested with me in Everbull own they deserve to own all of these because, as I said, these are all meant to serve and provide value to Everball. And if you, I believe, when you invest in a company, you're not. You're investing in a person. Um, And that's where sales comes in. So you're not investing in the brand Everbull. You're investing in Jeff Fenster to run the brand Everbull. And I make decisions every day. And that's what you're betting your money on or backing. So if you invest in me, you deserve to have all of my focus and attention help drive and get you a return. And that's how I've been able to raise a lot of money over the years with that mindset. So I don't divert from that. So anyone who invested in Everbowl owns Superfuel Coffee, owns WeBuild, owns uh, Real Happy Foods, owns Everbowl, owns Everbowl franchising, and owns Later Bowls just with the same investment. Because if I'm focused on it, they deserve to share in the upside. So and then right. when we're done, we're done
0: yeah. So those are your investors, right? That, that invested in you originally and, um, they're investing in you and they're getting a piece of everything that spins out of that original investment. But what about the people you're approaching to Same. Uh, same, gotcha. same. Gotcha. my
1: gotcha. construction, you know, my executives of the construction company, they own equity in Everbull and everything below it because they're just as important to that piece. And I don't want them to ever feel like if, if, you never. I never want winners and losers inside the company. If we, if I win, you win. If you win, he wins. If he wins, she wins, and we all win, or we all lose. And there is no, there is no. Hey, we all made money, but that one vertically, that one vertically integrated piece that didn't work, it's cut, and they don't make anything. No, that there, we wouldn't be where we are, but for them, we're a team, and so whether you're the star player on the team or you're the bench warmer who only sees minutes in in trash time, it doesn't matter. We're a team, and we win together, we lose together.
0: Awesome. Um- I don't think I have any other questions around that. Is there anything that you feel like we didn't get that you should speak to because it would be just super unfortunate if we did not get that special knowledge that only you have?
1: (laughs) No, I mean, I think, I think we've touched on, you know, my two biggest things in business is uh, relationship capital and vertical integration. And I think we've done a good job. I mean, like I said, the only thing I will touch on is um, I think everyone needs a coach and everyone needs a mentor. Um, and I think you need to have both. And I think you need to understand the power of both. A coach is someone you pay to help you along your journey. A mentor is someone who you don't pay, who gives you free counsel advice and is there as a, as a resource. Um, understand the difference. And if any of you say, I can't afford a coach, I'm going to say you can't afford not to. And I'm going to give you a, a, something to think about. LeBron James, Tiger Woods, Beyonce, Tom Hanks, they all have a singing coach, acting coach, basketball coach, golf coach. Their coach isn't better at what they do than them but they all have a coach to hold them accountable and make sure that they are getting what they need to succeed and, and making sure that they are giving 100% of themselves every single day, every single week. I have business coaches that I pay. I have business mentors that I lean on for, for help. I am a business coach that I charge and I am a mentor that I do for free. And there's a different relationship. And if you're struggling or you are not exactly where you want to be, or you are at the top of your game and you want to stay there, I recommend you find yourself a mentor or two or three, and you find yourself a business coach or two or three, and you leverage the hell out of them because that is one of the secrets that uh, successful people do. And if you want to be successful, I recommend you do it too.
0: Beautiful. I did have one thought that popped into my head uh, based off of your unevolved uh, lifestyle. Um, you said that it's not just, you know, it, when you say unevolved, it's, it's putting food the way we were meant to eat it into our bodies. Right. But what about how we're eating it? Do you think that how we eat food in the sense of together, where I think eating food was a very together thing. Uh, I feel like we we don't eat food the same way we used to say at 100 years ago, we eat it on the run on the go um, on our own. Right. Um, do you think that how we eat food is important?
1: Well, uh, you know, I like to be honest and tell you that I eat on the go all the time um, and it's not part <laughs> of the uninvolved lifestyle as it's defined today. Um, I haven't really given that much thought. So I'd be just flying off the cusp. But um, more importantly to me is that you find a way to be active and take the stairs instead of an escalator and park further away from the grocery store and walk or stand at a, at a desk instead of sit or stand during commercials or, um, you know, do little things to move your body and then eat real food, stuff that's been around forever. And if you have to eat it on the go, I'd rather you eat that than, you know, eat laboratory created junk food in a, in a big group. Um, but once you've achieved all those two things, I think, yes, getting back to understanding that we are tribal creatures and we do, uh, we are communal and and eating is, you know, uh, as I tell my team, you know, eating uh, food and music are the two things we as humans do from every life event, from birth to death and everything in between. So um, there's always food, there's always music, right? And they are very communal activities. And so I think that you are onto something. I just haven't done enough homework, research or thought to articulate anything of value i feel you but um, I, I appreciate your honesty about it.
0: yeah man i appreciate your honesty so one more question before we go to the speed round and uh, this is a question i want to start asking all my guests the mission statement for restaurant unstoppable is to inspire empower and transform the industry so let me ask how have you transformed uh over the years i mean maybe before i mean it's only been three years since you've been in there, or now five years since you've been in the in the industry uh, but how have you transfor- transformed personally
1: well, um, I have a. I've transformed a lot. I, I have a whole new respect for the restaurant business, um, and and I understand the the things that I've never I never really even thought of when I when I started Everbull. Um, I also understand that you know where being someone who strives for perfection, uh, and even though I know I'll never get there, I strive for it and I work on it every day. Um, how transactional the restaurant business is. You know, it's transformed me to have more patience because um, I don't care if you only make a mistake one out of ten thousand transactions. You will make mistakes, and you know, with twenty-eight restaurants, that's gives me a higher probability that I'm going to have mistakes made on a daily basis and unhappy customers. And you know, I used to live and die by Yelp bad Yelp review, and um, you know, I used to keep me up and all night and, and I get stressed over anyone who didn't enjoy and love their Everbowl experience. And it was my number one goal is to not have one person unhappy. And, you know, I, I've come to understand that that's just an unrealistic expectation. And I have to appreciate that some people aren't just going to, aren't going to like it. Um, and I've transformed into having more patience and more understanding for, uh, for that. So I think that that's how I've transformed.
0: Beautiful. Awesome. Great conversation. I love this one more quick break. We're going to bust out a true speed round. Did you know Toast is the number one most recommended POS on Restaurant Unstoppable? I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that more than two-thirds of their employees have worked in the restaurant industry. And I'm feeling pretty confident that has something to do with their commission-free online ordering, which is a hot ticket right now, which lets guests easily order directly from restaurants for pickup or contactless delivery to keep revenue flowing during these uncertain times. They even have delivery services, which dispatches local drivers through an on-demand network to keep your community fed and revenue coming. Regardless of the reason why people are recommending Toast, I highly recommend you go check them out during this industry-wide pause to learn or more, head to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners for a limited time, get one month of free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools, and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000. One more time, that's toasttab.com dot com slash unstoppable you have to use that link to save one thousand dollars we're back and the first question i have for you jeff is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success
1: relentless uh being relentless is the most important thing because even a rock becomes smooth under the under the relentless nature of water
0: Ooh, that's a good one i'm gonna have to use it sometime what is your biggest weakness
1: Patience, lack thereof. I want everything yesterday.
0: <laughs> what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? When you, and you, I know you put a lot of emphasis on recruiting people. So what are you looking for when you're building your team?
1: Can you make friends and have fun? That's mm-hmm. the only two questions I ask. If you can do those things, I can teach you the rest.
0: What's your biggest challenge today?
1: juggling family time and business at the same, you know, juggling those two priorities and making sure that I'm giving them both a hundred percent of me.
0: How are you overcoming that challenge?
1: Difficultly. It's a, <laughs> it's a teeter totter. It's sometimes I have to give more to one side than the other. And, um, it's a, it's a daily, it, it's, I'm kaizenning it, trying to get 1% better at it every day.
0: That's all we can do, man. Uh, what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team this is a core value a way to be a way to act
1: be remarkable if it's worth doing it's worth overdoing hold yourself to a remarkable standard and everything you do and from there success is a foregone conclusion
0: what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team this is something that's common within the four walls of your businesses but not common throughout the industry
1: well, I think it's making friends. I think it's really focusing on actually just doing what a friend would do to a customer and not worrying about making money or charging them or worrying about if we lost money on this this transaction, that's irrelevant. Let's make friends with every customer and make sure no one leaves unhappy.
0: What's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator?
1: I'm going to say it's uh, Tim Grover's Relentless, mm. be unstoppable from yes. good to great to relentless.
0: I love it. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough?
1: I don't think they look outside the restaurant business. Um, I think that they're too focused in, in the restaurant space and there's so much to be learned from learning from those outside. And as you mentioned, you know, Pat Flynn and, and Jordan Harbinger or podcasts, just others in the world that are doing other things completely. There's so much you can learn from other industries. So focus outward and that'll allow you to improve inward. Honestly,
0: I think that's my biggest secret. Uh, I don't really pay attention to any restaurant industry expert or authority unless i'm getting them on the show to be a guest to talk about one thing when i look for my inspiration to lead the restaurant industry the restaurant industry is notorious for being behind the curve i look to yes. other industries to be leading edge and i think that's great advice uh in a jordan harbinger show if you guys are interested in that we mentioned a few times it's all about basically like social and emotional intelligence and how to be the best version of you using like science basically and what we know of ourselves right uh really dissecting the human element and then uh pat flynn smart passive income uh you know if you can make passive income in this industry uh we don't make a lot from the restaurant industry if you're doing this for your passion if you love it and you need some other forms of revenue we all have special skills right now you're seeing people starting courses and you know sharing their knowledge and trading money for their knowledge and automating elements of their knowledge online any one of us can do that And if you're interested in doing something like that let me know because um i'm happy to point you in the right direction and getting that set up and pat flynn is one of those resources out there absolutely we'll be, we'll be sure to link to both of those in the, the show notes um do you want to reflect on anything i just said
1: No, I agree. I mean, you nailed it.
0: (laughs) Name one service you've hired or outsourced. When I say service, not necessarily a technology, but like somebody who does something better than you and you outsource them for your business, that we can help good people connect with good people.
1: Well, I mean, I'm difficult for that question because I'm so big on vertical integration. So if if they're that good, I'm going to see if they join the team. Um, (laughs) So I don't outsource a ton of valuable things like that, but uh, we did outsource all of our accounting to to an accounting firm and are legal to a legal firm. Um,
0: Can you share those firms in case you're looking for clients? Are you allowed to? uh, I can share
1: my legal firm is Solomon Ward.
0: Okay, beautiful. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. And this is uh, actually not the last question. This is the technology question. Uh, What's one technology you've adopted within the four walls of your business that have had a huge impact on communication, operations, efficiency, anything along those lines.
1: Uh, Zero and Zenefits. Uh, we use Zenefits for time and attendance, human, our payroll, human resources, um, and Zero, which is allowing us to do our bookkeeping and accounting on the fly, and it integrates with all of your vendors and bank accounts. So, um, really, you can you can handle what used to be an arduous task in, in the blink of a you know blink so of an eye.
0: There's tons of, of resources out there for uh, cloud based accounting. There, you got Zero, you got FreshBooks, you got QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. Why Zero? I'm curious.
1: Well, I was with QuickBooks. I just found, found it too antiquated. And um, Zero was that, you know, it was fresh. It was easy. The UI was great. Um, it, it worked really seamlessly for us. And we implemented it and we haven't looked back. I mean, it's the issues we had, we were able to find workarounds. And now we built this pretty slick uh, system utilizing Zero.
0: And Zero spelled X E R O. That's correct. Yeah. Beautiful. And this is the last question. Are you ready for it? I'm it's ready. A doozy. I'm not going to lie. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work in your restaurants and all of your businesses would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be?
1: Make friends and have fun. One. Kaizen, get 1% better every day. Two. And be relentless.
0: Three. Jeff, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's one or two independent operators or franchises that you know or corporations that you know that you respect and admire and believe would make great guest mentors like you have for us today?
1: Okay. So the people I was just going to name are quite large. um, But... (laughs) Well, but one, one is, uh, Ralph Rubio, uh, founder of Rubio's. Uh, he's a mentor of mine. Great guy. Um, incredibly the way he approached the business is incredible. Would be a great guest on your show. Um, another one is David Cohn from Cohn restaurant group, uh, an investor and advisor of mine as well. Um, and he's built 30 phenomenal sit down restaurants of all different shapes and sizes. He's one of the biggest restaurant groups in San Diego and uh, another just incredible mind who has such a great perspective on the, on the business and the industry and is plugged in. So those would be the two.
0: David and Ralph, look out, guys. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And maybe we want to come join your team or maybe there's a way to vertically integrate. Who knows? What's the best way to connect with you and your team?
1: Well, uh, email or text is always good. So you can email me at jeff at or connect at jefffenster.com. You can text me 858. 858- four seven two three one one nine um or on social media at Fenster Jeff on Instagram and uh Facebook and you know LinkedIn or at Everbull Craft Superfood.
0: Beautiful. This has been an incredible episode. If you guys want to uh, check out the show notes, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 722. This is episode 722. Jeff Fenster. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. There is no questioning, my man, you are unstoppable.
1: Well, thank you so much. It was truly an honor. Huge fan of the show, huge fan of yours. And so it was really special to get to come on today.
0: That means a lot. The pleasure was mine. Thank you. Cheers.
1: Thank you. Huh?
0: What did I say? Great stuff today from Jeff Fenster. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. And uh some great takeaways for me in today's episode. Um I love I love this idea of vertical integration. And um, some of my biggest restaurant heroes lever this, I leverage this idea of vertical integration in creating opportunity for those in their network, in their community. And it's all about those relationships, right? And when you can literally partner with those relationships and create create opportunities for these people in your life, I think that's just absolute magic. And uh, I don't want to give away too much, but I think that it's a vertical integration that's going to be some some way i'm going to leverage vertical integration when trying to scale restaurant unstoppable when i think about the future of restaurant unstoppable and how we can use this platform to serve so many people in the restaurant industry because it's all about the your network it's all about the people you know and the quality of the relationship and i've been so fortunate to meet so many great people i know there's something on the table here for me and i just haven't quite figured it out but i think that there's something on the table here for you too In thinking more locally and how you can collaborate and create win-win situa- situations in your community so i just love this idea of virgal integration um, and i also love this idea of relationship capital and we cannot be Transactional. We have to be transformative, and the way you are transformative is by leaving everybody you touch better than the way that you found them. And that's that's what comes to my mind when I think of transformative relationships, and then uh, and just looking to better people's life without asking for anything in return. And over time, you're just adding all these deposits, and when you need it, you can make it a withdrawal. But you got to dig the well before you need to drink before you need water, and that's a a quote from Jordan Harbinger. We love it here at Restaurant Unstoppable, and there's one other thing that kind of came out of today's show that I want to bring attention to, and it's this idea of um, setting micro micro goals. So going forward, Restaurant Unstoppable every quarter is going to be hosting a three-month mastermind. Maybe you can stay longer if you want, or, or you're welcome to stay longer if you want, but what we're going to be doing with those masterminds is helping you set 90 day goals. So if you're somebody who needs help staying accountable with their goals, shoot me an email, Eric at restaurant stoppable. Our first set of masterminds uh, under this new format is popping off in July, but we'll get you on the list for the last quarter of the year. So if that's interesting to you again, shoot me an email, Eric at restaurant stoppable, put mastermind in the title and we'll get you on the waiting list. And uh, that's it for today. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show until next time. Peace out.